0: This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. When I was a kid, I was a voracious reader. I still love to read, but what I used to do then, and what I bet a lot of kids did, was read the same books over and over and over, until they fell apart at the binding. I was especially fond of a few books in particular. I liked Harriet the Spy, but there was another book about Harriet's friend Sport that I liked way more. And I was totally in love with a series of books that, as far as I can tell, no one else in the world has ever heard of. They were called All of a Kind Family, and they were about a Jewish family living on the Lower East Side in the early 20th century. I just adored them. Today on Fordham Conversations, we're talking about these kinds of books, what is today often referred to as young adult fiction. My guest on the show is James Van Oosting. Van Osting's the author of several children's books, and he's a professor of communication and media studies at Fordham. We'll speak with him in a moment, but first, we were interested to know what books made people's hearts beat faster when they were kids. So we sent reporters Anne-Marie Hordern and Katie Moore out into the city to find out.
1: The Anne of Green Gables series were my favorites growing up.
0: I loved the characters, and um, they were just really kind of like calm, I think it stayed with me just because it was the kind of book that I could read over and over again, um, just because of the the storyline, and it was sweet, you know, like the um, orphan kind of getting all of, getting the chance to like have a family and um, be in a place that she always wanted to be and have adventures and yeah.
1: Peter Pan, as I got a little older, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, Time Machine, H. G. Wells, Jules Verne. And then it just progressed from there. As you get
0: older, your urines change, and now I just, I can't go anywhere
1: without a book. But it was just, it was the whole scheme of the thing, like to escape, fly out your bedroom window, go to Neverland with the pirates and the Indians and Captain Hook and the crocodile. That's the kind of fantasy as a child you think about,
0: and as you progress, then you get into the monsters and the adventure and space travel,
1: and. Uh, Robert Crane with the uh, Red Badge of Courage. Um, and then it just, you know, you just progress and you branch out into like on well, my history, not that. I guess the first one that comes to mind is Catcher in the Rye, if that counts. Um, it was a novel, uh, growing up, Bill's Dung Ramon sort of. Uh, adventure story it was well written it was a great story the characters were really interesting it was during high school or middle school that we read it and it just kind of fit where I was growing up like the kind of character I was growing up you kind of always try to put yourself in their shoes and I don't know I think the good stories are the ones where you can do that
0: we heard there from Heather Skelly Jack Shern, and Justin Pascone and if you're like me and didn't know, A Bill Dung's Roman is a novel of personal development. Now, reading books is one matter, but what about writing them? Fordham Communication and Media Studies professor James Van Oosting has been writing books for kids for more than two decades. I spoke to Van Oosting earlier this week in our studios. James Van Oosting, welcome.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Now, I'm going to ask you more generally about young adult fiction in a minute, But first, tell me about how you came to write this kind of stuff.
1: Uh, It's not part of my training. All of my training is in uh, literature and in theater. But I suppose over time, um, I just like young readers. I like the subjects that they're interested in. They're the same subjects that I'm interested in. They uh, have such high expectations of what's possible in literature so I think that's why. I just think they're the best um, sort of collaborators in making stories work. But I should also say it's not really the way I think about it much. I mean, one writes stories that about which one has passion and that you hope they find readers. Um, and I don't want to say it's arbitrary, but it's something like arbitrary where those readers might be. So I don't really think about writing for children. I just write the stories that interest me in the best way that I can.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the history of this genre. Writing specifically for young adults is a fairly new phenomenon, isn't it?
1: Well, it is, um, partly because young adults is a fairly new category, you know, just in in our society, in our culture. I'm not an expert in the history of children's literature, but it does interest me that when we first um, sort of became aware of the genre, went by the name books for girls and books for boys, two separate categories, very separate. And then we began to see the genre called books for boys and girls, and then books for children, and then children's books, and then children's literature, and today more often referred to as literature for the young reader. So each of those semantic shifts have sort of nuanced changes in what it means. Um, But I would still say uh, that age and gender seem much more important in marketing children's books than uh, books for more mature readers. It's sort of odd. So if you went to a librarian, and certainly to a bookstore, and said, I'd like to buy a book for a child, I think the first question you would get back is, is it a boy or a girl? I mean, that a bit perplexes me, but I'm sure that that's the case.
0: The thing that unites your books and most kids' books, though, is that they feature protagonists who are about the age of the readers.
1: Oh, well, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's the case. There's a sort of conventional understanding, certainly with publishers of children's books, um, that the protagonist of a story probably ought to be either the same age or preferably a year or two older than the preferred reader, and I think that just has to do with those readers being very focused on their own future development. But the thing you can hardly get away with is writing a story about a character who is younger than the reader. That's uh that has limited appeal, apparently.
0: So what's it like writing like as a, a twelve or thirteen year yeah. old character, especially a lot of your protagonists are girls?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, we'll start with the age. First of all, I'm very blessed to have a detailed memory of my own childhood. Not necessarily an accurate memory, I suppose, but a very detailed memory. It's not an accident that many of my protagonists um, are around the fourth grade, because it happens that my family moved after my own fourth grade, so that that age is a bit frozen for me in my memory. As I say, too, I'm very interested in the same issues that I was interested in when I was a child and that children remain interested in. So if I go to a to a party and it's largely adults and a few children there, I'm likely to seek out the children. You know, I'm, they're interested in, for instance, you know, what happens the moment after our heart stops beating at the moment of death? What's next? Well, that interests me, too. It interests me a whole lot more than you know, what's the fixed or variable rate on mortgages, and even more than how is one proceeding toward tenure or promotion. Now, writing from the point of view of, say, a girl and I'm a boy, I mean, it's what writers do, and it's what actors do, and the better you are, probably the further you can move away from your own experience. However, if we were to say that a writer really needed to restrict oneself um sort of to one's own demographic of gender and age and region and race and religion and so on, well, then we wouldn't have literature then then we would be denying so many dimensions of the imagination, and we would the similar critique then could be made of readers as writers because when we read and read. Um, with empathy and imagination and understanding, we're asked to move well beyond the limits of our own experience and our own identity. It's the thing that I suppose is most satisfying and sometimes most um, daunting about literature.
0: So what kinds of shifts do you have to make in the way that you Mm. think to write as, say, a 13-year-old girl? How do you have to Mm. view things differently?
1: i you know i don 't think about that very consciously i 'm sure there are very clear shifts i don 't think about it much because once a story uh, once i 'm committed to telling a story which often feels the opposite way, a story has sort of inhabited my imagination, then i 'm sort of in search of the voice in which that story will be told. I think that 's so important to me for a couple of reasons one my own training is in acting so i think that i just sort of instinctively by this stage of my life think about embodiment and vocalization but also i just trust my ear more than i do my eye for instance so i trust my ear to know if a character is authentic so i'm not going to write about a story uh, a character whether it's the narrator major character minor character unless i'm pretty persuaded in my mind that that's the way the person sounds <laughs>
0: So let's talk about your books. Tell me the stories of what goes on in a couple of your novels.
1: The first, going way, way back, is called Maxie's Ghost, and it is about a child named Maxie who does not believe in ghosts and who meets one, you know, a very real ghost and doesn't look or sound any way that he might have imagined a ghost would. And what are the consequences in his life? as the result of that the second called electing jj uh is about a a 12-year-old who runs for mayor of his town uh and and his uh, campaign staff are also children and they're running against a quite corrupt incumbent um so that's a, a sort of political intrigue but it has comic dimensions and for me sort of thematically it's about the empowerment of of children who really have visions for how to change things. The Last Payback is a very difficult story because the the narrator is very angry. She's enraged because her twin brother has been killed and nobody, at the beginning on the first page, you know, and nobody will tell her how or why or what happened. And these are well-meaning adults, you know, who just don't want her to go through a trauma. But she has a tremendous let's say, narrative need to know. And it is her rage, finally, that drives her to find out what it is that she needs to know. And I say it's difficult because none of us likes to be in the presence of somebody who's angry. I mean, it's not easy. We sort of back away. And I think we're particularly afraid, especially as adults, we're particularly afraid of children who are angry. (laughs) You know, we try to do anything we can to see if we can assuage their anger. Um, And the last one, what was that about? I don't remember what it is. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Walking Mary. Uh, It's about a teenage girl who has, uh, she's in an abusive family, particularly an abusive father. And uh, she befriends uh, uh, this eccentric woman who lives on the streets of this small town, dresses up in her tattered mink coat every day and meets the two passenger trains that come through town looking for a son returning from war years and years and years ago. So uh, it's she's the kind of person that children in the town for are trained, you know, don't go too near her. And instead, our protagonist uh, befriends her and it's sort of what the change is in both of their lives in consequence of that relationship,
0: you're listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. We're talking today on the show about children's literature. My guest is author James Van Oosting. He's written four novels for kids on such diverse subjects as ghosts, electoral politics family violence, and the close relationships between twins. Let's get back to that conversation. When you were 11 or 12 or 13, or the mm. age of most of your readers, what were mm. you reading?
1: Oh, I wasn't reading. I didn't read fiction, at least, until college. I grew up in this fundamentalist Baptist family, and all the friends <laughs> of my parents were fundamentalist Baptists. And... So I read the Bible all the time, King James Version. And then I suppose by the time I hit junior high, I was reading something that others probably called theology, but I don't know that I would today. And I don't know why this makes me smile now. I mean, it's just a very strange way to have grown up. And there's a lot of things that may have made adulthood difficult in consequence of that. But there are a couple of things that I'm very grateful for as a writer. One is I memorized, oh my goodness, chapters and chapters and chapters of the Bible, both Hebrew scripture and Christian scripture, in this great King James language. And because I memorized them as a child and memorized them very well, they're all with me. And that's sort of nice to have kind of in the acoustic memory and the second thing is, when one went to church, went to church twice on Sundays and once on Wednesdays, and heard all of these uh, brimstone hell and brimstone sermons, forty five minutes at a stretch, in which ministers uh held forth at some volume on why you needed to interpret this verse in such and such a way and if you didn't understand it in such and such a way you know your your eternal soul was imperiled well this was great for a kid i mean you just paid very close attention and you came to think that prepositions you know had there were life and death consequences to the way you understood a preposition that's not a bad thing for a writer <laughs>
0: So when you got older and you started uh, reading a lot of fiction, mm, mm. did you go through a phase where you read um, kids' books or well, young yes, adult I, books?
1: I think actually that has made a difference to me because I, I met children's books, certainly including the classics of children's books, as an adult. And, um, you know, I think in some ways um, that must create blind spots for me. But in other ways it has created, I think, um, sort of a more... Uh, critical appreciation, I suppose, from the beginning, because I was beginning to read books for young readers, you know, at the same time that I was studying Henry James and uh, Virginia Woolf and oh, the plays of Shakespeare and so on.
0: So what books did you particularly like? Oh,
1: well, um, all of the traditional fairy stories. um I liked C.S. Lewis, did not much like J.R.R. Tolkien. Isaac Basheva Singer, I reread all of the time. He also has a tremendous essay called Our Children, the Ultimate Literary Critics. Uh, Anyone interested in this topic, I advise you to get hold of that. The other essay to read is um, J.R.R. Tolkien's On Fairy Stories. A uh, gorgeous, gorgeous, uh, critical, theoretical piece.
0: So your earlier books are sort of they're sort of relatively light, but starting mm. with the last payback and with Walking Mary, that's very, very dark stuff. Mm-hmm. How did you come to write about such serious topics? And tell me a little bit about the books.
1: Uh, the last payback, you know, is is um, about the anger of a of a twin at the death of her brother. And I think that, that my fiction is not in any way sort of consciously autobiographical, but at the same time, I'm sure that it comes from some unspoken and sometimes unacknowledged um, parts of oneself and one's experience and one's imagination. And in that case, I think the anger that motivates wanting and needing to find out more about one's own life story. You know, I think I was feeling that, have felt that for a long time, because before one can tell one's own life story and and sort of seize narrative authority over one's own experience, uh, you know, one goes through a long period of life in which others narrate your life to you, your parents and older siblings and teachers and so on. Uh, And, you know, you work hard to understand the story into which you were born, the town and the region and the family and the year, the language. And uh, because I thought so much of mine was sort of um, a mystery to me, or uh, I think I had a lot of anger. lots. I know I did. So that was useful, I suppose. In the case of Walking Mary, I mean, it really was a child who had come out of abusive circumstances, and whose survival depended on finding some perspective outside everything that she had heretofore known. And she was really suicidal. And it took this mysterious woman, Walking Mary, who didn't even use language to provide that sort of startling jolt that says, there, there is another reality than the one that has driven me to despair. And I would just say that that, you know, has parallels in my, in my experience.
0: This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. Just after the show this morning, it's Cityscape with George Bodarchy. On today's show, look at the medieval gardens at the Cloisters Museum in Upper Manhattan. That's ahead at 7.30. But first, let's hear the rest of my conversation with Fordham professor and author, James Van Oosting. In Walking Mary and in some of your other work as well, mm. there's a lot of threads that are left unwoven in at the mm-hmm. end. Was that a deliberate decision?
1: It's very conscious when we decide to begin a story and what its meaningful middles might be and where we decide to end the story because presumably the lives of many of the characters are going to go on beyond the last page. So in one sense, it's a purely artistic and aesthetic decision to say, well, this is where the telling of the story ends, even if it's not where the story might end. And I think the telling of the story for me does always have elements of the unknown, and perhaps unknowable.
0: What do you think that people, when they're writing for young adults or for children, do that they ought not to do?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, just like all of us adults, I think I'm making a generalization that could perhaps hold up. There's this terrible temptation to condescend to children. And I think it has to do with our faulty memories of our own childhood. I think it has to do with um, false mythologies of the innocence of childhood. But I think it also has to do with the tremendous fear that we as adults in our society has of children. I don't think we want to really know what children think and what they do. It would be very, very scary Sometimes we even judge certain films to be R-rated not because the children couldn't handle the story or the characters but because we th- we want to think they couldn't handle it. We think children don't know certain words that of course they know and they've known for a long time and they know have a bigger vocabulary than ours. So one has to just do all that one can to realize day-to-day moment by moment as when one writes for young readers that Uh, one could not partner with a more challenging reader than with children. They have death-defying expectations of what is possible with language. And they will put a story, a book, down, you know, on page 17, the middle of the second paragraph, if it ceases to be interesting. And maybe they drag themselves through a few more pages if it has to be done for a book report you know, but there's no sense I should finish the thing if it doesn't interest me. And I like that. And there's no sense of this book has to be viewed in support of a certain kind of theory. Um, and I like that.
0: I was, when I was looking at the Amazon.com reader reviews of The Last Payback, mm. I noticed that there was a trend where the um, librarians who had written mm. reviews also, all said this is not appropriate for the mm-hmm. age group that it said it is, and it's really beware of the language. Mm-hmm. And then there were several kids who had written in, all of whom said, this is great. This is exactly <laughs> how I think. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. What, what do you think is unique about a young adult audience?
1: Oh, well, you brought up something that's very important. Um, there is no more marginalized readership than children. Uh, there are so many cultural gatekeepers. And children play basically no in the process. They don't write it. They don't edit it. They don't publish it. They're not the librarians who buy, who acquire books for libraries. They don't, for the most part, review it. And in hardback, they often don't buy it. So they have very little voice. Now, this is very typical what you just pointed out. I haven't looked at those reviews on Amazon.com, but um, pretty much my whole career, librarians, even when they've given me a couple of awards, are have been leery of my writing. And I've had a couple of librarians just been unwilling to put my books on their shelves. And I've had a couple of school districts where parents have said, your books can't be in the school library. I've never, ever heard that from any child. And instead, I get letters where I think the young readers feel that they and i have a kind of subversive relationship frankly in which the child reader says in essence oh wow what you're writing about is something that i'm feeling and i didn't know where to say it i didn't i've had no words to express it so uh you know that makes me feel absolutely terrific i don't mean by the way i shouldn't uh, i wouldn't want to mistake that for general criticism say of librarians i mean the american library association is the great uh, cultural support of children's literature. But still, there are critical gatekeepers that I think affect children's literature that don't affect other kinds.
0: Well, there's tremendous concern about what's appropriate for yeah, kids and yeah. what's going to drive kids over the edge into madness and violence, basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there is. Not
0: <laughs> not to say that most kids are on the verge of that, but I think that's the basis of the fear. Um, your books are about kids who have serious problems in their lives and also Mm -hmm. that have serious problems inside themselves. There's abuse, there's violence, there's guns, there's political corruption. (laughs) I feel like that's unusual in literature written for people that age, but when I think about it, I'm not sure if it is that unusual. Are there other examples of this sort of thing?
1: Um, Yeah, I won't be able to come up with them right now, but they're just lots and lots and lots. There's so many fantastic writers who are writing very real and gritty stories. And the fact of the matter is that children experience, you know, everything that life can give them and often with very little power. Um, children do experience violence and every kind of um, emotional trauma uh, with less experience and less means sometimes to to survive it. My books, too, as you know, are my stories are all set in a small town, the same small town, uh, Framburg. So, some of those themes or um, might surprise some readers who are urban and suburban to say, I don't know, I, I've I, that setting, small town, rural, middle of the country, um, is sometimes viewed to be more bucolic and pastoral and, than is, of course, the the fact.
0: I'll ask you one more question. And I'll close okay. with this. What would you hope that your readers take away from your books?
1: Mm. Oh, what a wonderful question. Um, Well, I think the reading experience takes us out of ourselves. So it's sort of like travel. We go somewhere and we come back at the end but we don't come back to the exactly the same place where we got in. I mean, something has happened. Something sort of, uh, you know, all the words sound too fancy, but something sort of transformative because the nature of narrative is that it's a world. I mean, it's not a metaphor. It's not a word. It's not a theme. It's not a sentence. its If it works, it's the creation of a world. And f- uh, that's what I would hope for the reader, is that they somehow did get access to this fictional world, and that once there, they found it interesting and worth their time.
0: Safe to assume, though, you're not hoping that they learn a very valuable lesson. Uh,
1: (laughs) I have no lessons to teach, no.
0: Well, James Van Oosting is a professor of communication and media studies at Fordham and the author of several young adult novels. James Van Oosting, thanks so much
1: for coming in. Oh, my privilege. Thank you.
0: James Van Oosting's novels are Electing J.J., Maxie's Ghost, The Big Payback, and Walking Mary. From WFUV, this has been Fordham Conversations. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, or if you'd like to share any of the books you read as a kid, you can email us at FordhamConversations at WFUV.org. We would, of course, and as always, love to hear from you. Fordham Conversations is available as a podcast at WFUV.org. It's also in our audio archive, which you can also find on our website. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thank you for listening and have a fabulous weekend. This is WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org.